Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Have you ever woken up and not quite felt yourself? I know I have creep. It happens from time to time where you just don't quite feel comfortable or settled in your own skin. But how about a week? Have you ever had a week where you weren't quite feeling or acting like yourself? How about a year? Or two? Or even ten? Today we are going to talk about someone who fell out of themselves. Because, well, maybe there wasn't much of a self to begin with. But before we talk about that, We have to go back and figure out what happened to Jolene Cummings when she went missing in 2018. Yulee, Florida is the kind of town where an exciting Friday night consists of walking around Walmart. It's small but growing, but despite that growth maintains a sleepy feel about the town. If you ever find yourself in Yulee, Florida, creep... You're more likely to hear the praisings of Trump and Jesus than anything else. In other words, it's an extremely conservative part of the country. Whether that's good or bad isn't my place to say, but it's in this know-nothing town of Yulee, Florida, that 34-year-old Jolene Cummings, mother of three, went missing. Jolene Cummings was the sort of woman who seemed to always make an impression on others. Her best friends from high school described her as an inspiration, vibrant, and an all-around good person, who genuinely loved being a mother with every fiber of her being and soul, which makes what I'm about to say next all the more tragic. Jolene Cummings was last seen leaving her shift at Tangle's Hair Salon, on Saturday, May 12, 2018. The next morning, Jolene was scheduled to meet her ex-husband to collect her children. That day would have been Mother's Day and her birthday. But she never showed to pick up her children to spend that special day together. It wasn't until Monday, May 14th, that Jolene's mother officially reported her missing to local law enforcement. County police spread their net far and wide in the ensuing search that followed Jolene's mother's report of her disappearance. The thick, humid Floridian woods were searched inch by inch, and police quickly dispersed as much information as they had on hand to anyone who could be able to point them in a direction as to where she might have gone and what had happened to Jolene Cummings. Investigators decided to follow up with Tangles, Jolene's place of employment, and her last known location as they tried to reconstruct her last known hours. See, they were interested in talking to anyone who might have been working with her the previous night. And as it just so happened, the owner of Tangles was on the phone with that very person. 
As Jennifer Siebert pulled into her parking stall in the asphalt parking lot in front of Tangles, the owner mentioned that detectives were interested in talking with her, as she was possibly the last known person to see Jolene before she went missing. The owner expressed how much investigators would appreciate her cooperation in assisting them in reconstructing her final known hours. Jennifer's response was a resounding no. As she pulled into her parking stall, as the owner of Tangles, her boss, asked her to talk to police about her co-worker Jolene Cummings, who was missing, Jennifer quickly hightailed it out of there. Which is what any innocent person does. Right, creeps? Although Jennifer was not a suspect, this certainly made her a person of interest, but before police were able to find Jennifer, they found yet another missing piece of the puzzle. Jolene's vehicle. On May 16th, investigators located Jolene's vehicle, sitting abandoned in the parking lot of the local Home Depot, with no sign of Jolene. No sign of a struggle, no blood or fingerprints, nothing at all. The car had just been abandoned. Investigators were able to review the security footage of the parking lot, and luckily were able to see a good angle of where the vehicle had been parked. At roughly 1.17 a.m., the night Jolene had gone missing, someone dressed in all black, skulking through the night, clearly not wishing to be seen, sat in the car for a few minutes, perhaps wiping away any fingerprints, and then exited the vehicle and walked off into the inky blue black of night. Of course, police were hoping what they would see on the security footage would have been Jolene exiting the vehicle, alive and well. But that wasn't the case. It wasn't Jolene at all. It was Jennifer. While police reviewed the security footage, investigators were also at the station conducting a forensic examination of the possible crime scene. They sprayed the infamous luminol along the floors and walls and turned the lights off. As investigators clicked on their black light, the entirety of the salon lit up in a macabre, seasonal fashion. Splashes of blood streaked the walls, and where there were once pools of blood, now sat wide circles of surreal purple-blue stains, and the ceiling was covered in speckled sprays. They even found blood on an inconspicuous mop and bottle of bleach in the maintenance closet of the salon. And then, perhaps due to luck, or diligent police work, or a combination of the two, investigators later found Jennifer Siebert living in her car, three counties away parked in a truck stop. Jennifer Siebert, based on the circumstantial evidence and forensic evidence they had found, was arrested. Due to the combination of running, being the last person to have confirmably seen Jolene alive, and the mass amounts of blood found at their shared workspace, Jennifer Siebert was arrested for Grand Theft Auto and was transported back to Yulee, Florida, where the crime had taken place. Jennifer's arrest raised questions, though. What possible motive did she have to kill Jolene? How had she killed Jolene? And if she had in fact killed Jolene, where was the body? When Jennifer Siebert was arrested, 
Her face was scratched and clawed at, and when questioned, Jennifer feebly answered that she had acquired her facial injuries due to a motorcycle accident. Certainly not when Jolene Cummings fought for her life. No, it had been simply a motorcycle accident. Definitely that. Two days after the arrest of Jennifer Siebert, Nassau County Police held a press conference where, to the horror of her family, police expressed that they were no longer searching for a missing person, but instead the location of the body of what was once Jolene Cummings. The police believed the person who had killed Jolene Cummings was Kimberly Kessler. Wait. Kimberly Kessler. Not Jennifer Siebert? Well, creeps, they were the same person. When police arrested Jennifer Siebert for Grand Theft Auto and subsequently brought her in for questioning, police quickly discovered that Jennifer's social security number was curiously fraudulent. Jolene Cummings' co-worker, the same co-worker who had hightailed it and gone on the run from the police, who was living in her car at the truck stop amongst other places, was actually named Kimberly Kessler from Butler, Pennsylvania. Well, at least one mystery was solved. Police were able to close her active missing persons case from 2012. But how long had she been living as Jennifer Siebert, and what had Jennifer... I mean, Kimberly done to Jolene. And where was her body? Jennifer Siebert, who was actually born Kimberly Kessler, was born in 1968 in Butler, Pennsylvania. Kimberly, who had been reported missing in 2012 by her loving mother, had told police the last time anyone had seen her was July 4th, 2004. Her mother had waited eight years to report her missing. As police would later come to find out, after much more digging, Kimberly Kessler, in the 14 years since her last known whereabouts, had assumed 24 false identities, lived in 33 cities across 14 states. What exactly was Kimberly trying to hide from? What was in her past that required that level of subterfuge to escape? Police had caught Kimberly Kessler, who had gone on the run following the disappearance of Jolene Cummings. When the police expressed interest in speaking to Jennifer, I mean Kimberly, as she was the last person who had seen her alive. What name do you want me to, to call you? Because I was talking to the detective that drove you up and he said I might have been calling you by the wrong name. It's funny that St. John's didn't tell you. When you want to bring my fingerprints through, they come mm -hmm. up as Kimberly Lee Kessler. That's about it. So I would prefer to be called Kim. Okay. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm, that I'm calling you uh, by your right name. But if you bring them through, I mean, the last time I got picked up was back in 1999, and I bonded out. And it took them, I don't remember, it was a couple weeks, I don't know if it was two and a half weeks or three and a half weeks before they actually... You know, matched them, matched up. them up. Yeah, it didn't like, but that was 1999, so maybe it was a little bit slower then. Okay. But I don't know, there's like lots of people on the face of the planet, so maybe it still takes time. I'm not sure. And, and it may be too that you, since you've had this alias for, for so long, you know, it probably, you, you've probably done a lot of stuff since that time. And so you've actually kind of got a, you know, you've got a history under that name, so it 
probably shows up in different databases and stuff like that. And that's just a guess, and maybe, maybe that's why it's, it's happening like that. There's a video of you dropping her car off at the Home Depot parking lot there in Yulee, and walking across and going into the uh, gate station and getting a taxi cab. That's why you're, you, you know, you're charged with a grand theft auto. And I'm not trying to trick you, I'm not trying to fool you. You're opening up to me and I'm opening up to you, okay? Mm -hmm. That's the reason you're charged with that. You're not charged with anything else, okay? Um, but something happened to Jolene. And, you know, we actually sent our, sent our crime scene unit out to process um, tangles. And there was some evidence there, okay? We have also, and, and I don't want you to think I've been fooling you. I, you know, I just want to talk to you and get to know you a little bit because I think something... Something that you didn't plan happened, but let me tell you what, what we did, okay? Because I just want to be honest with you because I think something bad happened that you didn't intend to happen. It's safe to assume that at this point, Kimberly Kessler was the one responsible for the disappearance of Jolene Cummings. But if she had lived under 24 different names in 33 cities across 14 states, what other crimes had she committed? As it so turned out, Kimberly wasn't the most stable individual you'd hope to come across. While locked up awaiting trial, Kimberly made several phone calls to her mother, who she hadn't seen or spoken to in over a decade. And the contents of her calls? Well, Kimberly sure was not a fan of the Illuminati. And that was the major talking point between the two. Investigators were able to match the blood which had drenched Tangle's salon to both Jolene and Kimberly, which they assumed was due to the struggle on the evening that Kimberly allegedly murdered Jolene. DNA analysis also found Jolene's blood on a boot, a pair of socks, a pair of scissors, and a storage locker belonging to Kimberly. In that same storage locker, police recovered six wigs and a pile of cell phones, which police assumed were all a part of Kimberly's elaborate fantasy of deceit and subterfuge. Kimberly Kessler would later tell police she often wore those wigs as a disguise and would change how she walked and talked in order to stay hidden and undiscovered. The question of Kimberly Kessler's innocence or guilt was becoming more, well, not a question. It was becoming more black and white. Police narrowed in, digging deep into who Kimberly really was. When investigators examined her phone search history, they found such searches as Murderpedia, List of Female Serial Killers, Florida Female Murderers, No Body No Crime, Co-Worker Guilty of Murder Missing Person Body Not Found. That last one is awfully specific, don't you think? Then there was the Walmart receipt, totaling just under $30. Kimberly had purchased 30-gallon trash bags, an electric knife, and a large bottle of ammonia. Later that night, as discovered on a neighboring restaurant's surveillance cameras, Kimberly tossed two large garbage bags into the trash. 
They were heavy, and Kimberly seemed to struggle to get enough swing to get them up and over, into the dumpster. Police believe Jolene's body was dismembered and ended up in a landfill, but to this day it hasn't been found. Of course, police investigated the landfill and searched through the mountains of trash and found some items of interest, but they were unable to locate any of Jolene's remains. Even without a body, though, a Nassau County grand jury indicted Kimberly Kessler before her arrest for first-degree murder based on the evidence that police were able to scrounge together in the early days of the case. But when it came time for Kimberly's trial in 2019, after being examined, a judge determined Kimberly was unfit to stand trial. And this wasn't a one-time write-off. Two psychiatrists had examined her. During her interview with her first psychiatrist, Kimberly became irrationally irate and critical when the first psychiatrist had found her incompetent. One would think she wanted to go to trial for what she had done as a part of a game and perhaps that's why she was so incensed by this figurative get-out-of-jail-free card. And that's where things seemed to end. On January 9th, 2020 at 9 a.m., there was a review of Kimberly's competency to proceed to trial, but was ruled to be held. Since then, a few of Kimberly Kessler's ex-boyfriends have taken to social media to share their experiences with her. The following quotes should be taken with a grain of salt, but I felt were worth mentioning. A man named David, whose last name I will not mention for privacy reasons, wrote, We met on Facebook. She drove overnight from Florida, got here to Texas the next day. We met for lunch in town. I did not want her coming to where I lived, and she asked me to marry her. And she would help me fight child protective services for my son Landon. She said we met many years ago at a party and she always remembered how sweet I was. Told her I would think about it. Creeped me out. Told friends okay, but I don't want marriage. She started posting stuff. I blocked her. Last week, Florida detectives called me and asked how I knew her. She was viewing me under seven different names on her computer. Talked to my cousin Kim, and she told me that she was friends with her growing up in Butler. Another ex of Kimberly's wrote, She'd say all kinds of stuff, like the Department of Family and Children's Services is a front for a satanic cult used to steal children for rituals, and it went all the way up to George Bush and that a bunch of Jewish bankers run all the casinos everywhere and met in an underground room in Las Vegas she knew because she went to a meeting once. And then yet another ex wrote, She was insanely jealous. I had a lot of friends at the beach, and if they were pretty, I'd avoid them like the plague. If I was with Jen, she would accuse me of hitting on them just by saying hi, and she'd stew all evening. And not just women either. I knew an 80-year-old gay guy, and he'd always say hi and hug me, and she'd have a fit. She thought he was hitting on me. She hated homosexuals. Now, there's a lot more to the past of Kimberly Kessler, but I just wanted to focus on Jolene Cummings today, on how she went missing, on how this would have affected her family. The last account of her family that I can find is that her two children are now living with her grandmother as Jolene was the primary breadwinner for the family and they have since fallen on hard times. 
When someone is murdered, it isn't just the victim. There are secondary victims as well. The loved ones, the friends, and the community. And it's hard to grasp who Kimberly Kessler truly is. And perhaps amidst all of her identity, she too lost who she really was. And also lost grip on reality. One can only hope that one day she's able to gather together enough humanity and empathy for Jolene's family and divulge the location of the body so her family can finally have closure. So, creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash talesbycole, where we release a Patreon-exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly... Every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors. (laughs) 